Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Well, lots of the leaders that help out with camp came to church this morning, and I've heard the word hangover many, many times today. And so those of you who weren't at camp, we we didn't drink. We just spent a lot of time in the presence of God, uh, spent a lot of time staying up late. Uh, A lot of cribbage was played, I think, around the dining hall. And uh, if you didn't come to camp this year and Generations Church is your home or you've been checking us out, I got to tell you, by not coming, you are missing out on one of the very best events of the year. If you want to build relationship with people and uh, discover people who will love you for life and walk with you and lean in when it gets messy, you're missing out if you're not at camp because that's where those relationships are being built. And um, you, you can do it here too. It's just we get a maximum amount of time together. We get all compressed and squashed together for a few days. Whereas if you just come to church, you know, people can run away quick and, and uh, you know, you miss a Sunday here or there. So it's just hard to get that level of connection. And um, I was supposed to say something else too, but I can't remember now. I know it was about the kids and whatever. Pastor Amy can come and give the altar call at the end and remind everybody. I'm sorry, I'm chewing gum which I'm going to rectify right away. So the title of today's message was uh, Three Tips for Saving the World, but as we were approaching this morning, I realized that it is probably a message that just could be called Recover. And um, there are three things that any one of us can do at any time. It actually doesn't even matter where you are right now today in your relationship with God. Uh, the cool thing is, is if you have no relationship with God, any step in, the, in, in just about any direction is going to be almost a right step. Um, for those of us who already have a relationship with, with God uh, because of Jesus, it's, it's a little different, and, and we kind of just have to do the next right thing that we know to do. Uh, but wherever we're coming from today, no matter how grouchy you are, how tired you are, uh, how worn out you feel, uh, there's, there's three things that you can involve in your life right now that are going to help you to feel refreshed, to help you rebuild passion, and to help you have uh, relational vitality to carry on through the rest of this summer. Uh, so I think it's a good way to start back up after camp. And uh, this, is a, this is a recommit, really, to what we do, why we do it as a local church. So the local church is the instrument of hope in this world. Local churches, and I'm not talking about like the church, like the political thing. I'm talking about local churches like ours. We are, we are God's instrument of hope in the world. And uh, you can see that if you start to listen to people and hear their testimony as they are walking their life out in relationship. Um, and you might not remember this all the time for those of you who are churchy people, but we actually do have a commit. We've been commissioned. Like we have a set of orders from God and we're called to do something and we're called to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Um, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, we remember that Jesus preached the blessed sermons. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, uh, all those ones. But right after that, he dropped a, a bomb on us that we are salt and light. Everyone say salt and light. All right, I don't know who wants to be salt or who wants to be light, but the truth is you're both. So what is this commission that I'm talking about then, this salt and light commission? And if we turn to our Bibles in the book of Mark, chapter 16, we're going to read a little bit about it. We got it up on the screen for you in case you don't have a Bible on your phone. 
So Mark 16, 14 to 18 says, After he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. Everyone say reclining at the table. Because that's important. They were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. So Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. In order to be saved, we need to believe specifically in Jesus. And we also should be baptized. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Jesus says when we don't believe, we will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So what happens when people read the Bible is lots of times when we're reading in context, we read something really, really important, but then we get caught up in the story or we get caught up in something sensational and we forget why we started in the conversation with God. And that's sometimes what happens. I don't know how many church people I've talked with over the years. All they want to talk about in this particular conversation is the signs and wonders that follow those who believe. And whether or not they're really believers, it, it gets all very religious very quick. But they're entirely missing the main point, which is what Jesus started with. And so we need to come back to that. Uh, don't miss that they got in trouble for not believing in the risen Lord. And I'm not just talking about any 11 Joe Schmoes. We're actually talking about the 11 disciples. And I know some of you say, well, there were 12, remember, but Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, he actually committed suicide. Uh, and so he was obviously no longer with the disciples at that point. Um, but we can't, we can't miss this. And maybe you can relate. I know that I can. They have been through hell, figuratively speaking. They have been hiding for fear of their lives because the Romans and the Jews alike are trying to wipe out Christians at this moment. Jesus uh, has, has died on the cross and has been raised from the dead. And so, you know, they got that going for them. But here they are, these disciples, totally spent, in my mind, laying around at the table. They're just, they're reclined. And I actually feel like much of our leadership team, this is exactly how we feel coming off of a large event from camp like camp. We, 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 we work so hard and we come back and we say, man, that was wonderful and it was stressful and it's amazing to see what God can do in people's lives. And, uh, and so we just kind of, we kind of kick back. And I believe it was, that's the posture we're looking at these 11 disciples in. They weren't bad guys. They were just reclining at the table. But something in the heart of God was troubled by how they did and what they did, how they did it. And so I, I think that Jesus appears, it says, and I believe then that the disciples were probably a little caught off guard. Uh, I don't know if you've ever fallen asleep like in church before and realized you're falling asleep and suddenly you're jolting and being electrocuted back to wake or back to, <laughs> see, I can't even talk this week. That's how bad it is for me. Um, and I've seen that happen. I've been tempted many times uh, back when our church was very, very small. My dad, who is not here this morning, was a sleeper in church. And I got to admit that more than once, I thought it would be so funny to have all like 50 of the people that were there just quietly get up and yeah. slip out of the room because then he would have thought he missed the rapture and it would have been really hilarious. Um, don't worry if you don't know what the rapture is. We'll get there eventually. 
not just not today. Um, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, okay. You're with me. Um, but, but, you know, we've all had that moment where we, if you've ever eaten too much turkey at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, that this is the moment. It's just so much has happened. So much has gone. I'm so full. I'm so tired. I'm so empty. I feel a little bit ill. All of those things all at once. That's the disciples right here. And so he, 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 he the Bible says he, he reproached them or he scolded them. He gave him a little, a little attitude adjustment for not believing what he said. Now, I don't think that Jesus runs around in our lives trying to pick on us a whole lot, but I do believe one thing with a fair level of assurance, and that is that you know, Jesus isn't overly excited about our unbelief with regards to what he says. I, I, really, I really get the, the hint from Scripture, and it's not a hint, it's very obvious, it's like a baseball bat to the head, that we need to believe in what he said. And not just believe in a mental sort of way, but believe to the point where we actually act on it. And it's interesting because what you truly believe in is what you will truly act upon. You don't find a lot of people acting on things they don't believe, at least not very effectively. Um, and so, so he gives them a hard time for their lack of commitment to believing. Uh, and then he gives this commission. And it's really not even a noteworthy thing where Scripture pulls this out, but I feel like we needed to camp on it, that he tuned them up a little first. He, he did a course correction with them, and then he set them straight on where it was going to go from there. And so if you can just open your ears and open your heart this morning to hear what we're saying, it's kind of what we're doing today. I know some of us, our leaders, our teams, our people, we're, we're full, we're tired, we, we feel like it was wonderful, but we all feel a little sick at the same time. And if we could just have a little course correction, because, you know, the reality is, is if we can just be in the presence of God, it's really all we're going to need. He's all we need. So, uh, I think you and I are guilty of, recli of reclining a little too long at the table after everything uh, happens, after everything goes down. Um, I think we're guilty of failing to live out our resurrected life. What I mean by that is we fail to live out of that, uh, the reality that we are no longer dead and in sin. We fail to live out of this reality. And it is our reality. I think, I think we need to be very clear in this. The reality of one who believes in Jesus and who has come to the Father and been made right with our Creator, when we walk in that place, we live in a resurrection life. We actually endure things that others can't or won't, mostly won't. We can hope for things that no one else really thinks is worth hoping for anymore. And from time to time, we absolutely see sensational and miraculous breakthroughs that are supernatural. And I think that we get caught up in, or we get entangled, maybe is a good way to say it, in all of the philosophy and thought that surrounds the issues that we face. When we get tired and we get run down, we, we don't necessarily think as clearly as we used to. We don't, uh, we don't have the mental sharpness. We can't say the words normally that we would say, which how I'm struggling today. I mean, Pastor Amy, I don't know if you know, but she was worshiping. She actually fell asleep one time today. <laughs> Hand was up in the air and everything. That's how tired she is. And um, don't, don't hold it against her. We work her pretty hard at our house, and she's pretty wonderful. Uh, but, but, you know, we, 
we don't get it right. We get played out. We get tired. Attitudes fail. Not my kids, but probably yours. Um, and not us as parents, but probably you guys. We get tired out from it, and we stumble, and we struggle, and we recline at the table a little too long. But I just want to say that just because a stumble, just because we stumble in faith doesn't make us fake in our relationship with God. See, just because they reclined at the table too long, it didn't disqualify them. In fact, it just required an alignment where Jesus requalified them. And so I don't want anyone to think this morning that, because I struggle with this from time to time, that when you get tired out, you wonder if it's worth going on. You wonder if you should continue on. You wonder if you should keep putting in everything you've been putting in. And you ask real questions to yourself. And sometimes, tragically, we attempt to make real decisions in that state of mind. It's a bad idea, just so you know. Always make important decisions from a position of rest and mental alertness and sharp focus with emotional, I don't know, stability. Okay, a little free tip. Um, Yeah, because we stumble in faith, it doesn't make us fake or dysfunctional as believers. The reality is, is we just have to get back up again. We've talked recently and often about when we get so many things wrong, it's hard to know what to do, but the simple truth is always going to be, if you've done things wrong, do the next right thing. You don't have to complicate life any more than that. Just do the next right thing that's in front of you. And you'll find that you begin to build some success in life with that. So, uh, I suppose we all wrestle with what follows uh, after in this conversation with Jesus. The different levels in different places. Um, you know, some of us struggle in terms of speaking with people. We're to be salt and light. We're to preach the gospel. So we struggle with preaching. Uh, and I don't know a lot of people who think that preaching would be an awesome profession to get into. There are a few who think that. But mostly people are pretty afraid to stand up here and hold this microphone. In fact, I think it's 80-some percent of the world is more afraid of speaking in front of people than they are swimming with sharks or something like that. It's really crazy. Like, 80% of the world would rather swim with bloodthirsty sharks than have to speak in front of people. Uh, You can Google it, because I'm probably wrong, but it's something like that. It's a crazy stat. Uh, Google can be your friend. I'm not intimidated by Google one little bit. Uh, so, So, yeah, so preaching is difficult for people, and we don't like that that's the first thing. But the list actually goes on, if you can recall. And, uh, and it's a little freaky, like snake handling. And what else do we have? Oh, demon casting outing. That's, that's a little scary for people. Does that even happen? Drinking poison. <laughs> and yes, there are strange and crazy people in the history of the church who have done these things to prove their faith. And then, probably the scariest of all for the modern day Christian is speaking in tongues. I know. That is the scariest of them all somehow. And um, I think that in our effort and in our hurry and scurry to work out all of the uncomfortable, miraculous things that are supposed to follow us, uh, we forget the two important things. And that is that it's done in His name. And when it's done in His name, His will is done. So we lay hands on the sick and they recover. We, we can do these things, but it, it's really not about me. It's really not about 
my ability. So rather than get all caught up in the, the management of how things are going to look if we walk out this commission, uh, let me just share three tips with you that are going to help you recover from reclining at the table a little too long, from feeling a little spiritually hungover. Here's the first of the three. Uh, the first one is prayer. And I know some of you aren't surprised by that because actually some of you are absolute prayer warriors. You're monsters when it comes to that in that you, you gobble up every opportunity to pray. Uh, Matthew 6, 6 says this, and I remember this because a great lady who just recently went to be with Jesus by the name of Diane Layton taught a memory verse when I was very young, and I remember it my whole life long. Matthew 6, 6. You say it till it sticks. Go into the secret place and shut the door. Your heavenly Father hears your prayer. He will reward. And I just, I just stuck in my mind. And that's, in fact, what Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, this is a contrast to what we pay attention to when Jesus spoke to them in Matthew chapter 5. Because remember, we all get caught up in the sensational showy, these signs will follow those who believe. But the problem I think we face is those who believe don't go into the secret place and shut the door. Yeah. You with me? It's okay if you're not. You can podcast it later and decide then. So it's no coincidence to me that after Jesus does this commission, he goes into the when you's in Matthew 6. He does that when you, and when you, and whenever you. So Jesus is reminding them, so when this happens, you're going to, and when that happens, you're going to, and when you go here, you're going to. He reminds them. And Jesus was often going off himself to lonely places to pray. Slipping away from the noise, from the distraction, from the crowds of people. And if I were to ask you, where is your favorite place to play, pray right now, many of you might not have an answer. I hope you do. I know Carlisle has a place to pray. I think they bought a house specifically because it had a place. And what is really cool is I understand that his son Matthias has now also built a little place to pray. And there are great things happening in people's lives in our church because Carlisle's family is praying at a whole different level than what they used to pray at. And uh, Jesus did the same thing. He would slip away from the noise and from the crowds and from the work of ministry to be alone with the Heavenly Father. Now that's interesting that God incarnate would withdraw to spend time with God. Interesting to me. My, my favorite private place to pray and to worship and to seek God actually, and some of you will like this because you're kind of redneck, is actually my truck. I like being in my pickup truck with worship music on and uh, typically not at a red light praying or singing my head off because that's weird a little bit. Uh, but, but to be driving down the highway or on a road or somewhere a little quieter, uh, it's one of my places I love to be. I love to be up early on Sunday mornings, sitting at the table. Uh, we changed our house around a bit. I used to be able to sit in this chair that was exposed to the sunrise, and it was just such an amazing thing for me every morning to watch the sunrise. And yes, even in May and June, I would watch the sunrise sometimes. Not because I really wanted to, just because my back hurt and I couldn't sleep. Uh, so, you know, there, the, the, so here's my deal. There are five other people who live in my house with me. And all of them love me, but all of them annoy me at different times. All of them take things from me almost all of the time. 
And that's how it's supposed to work. I'm not, I'm not you know, begrudging this. I'm just saying the fact is, is the five people who live with me need me and need things from me. And I also receive from them. Don't worry. I'm not, I'm not going to miss that. But, you know, I, I really do need time just to get away and be alone with the one who made me. And when we can learn this discipline of prayer and getting away, where we can uh, get away from some of these interruptions, um, man, we can begin to experience God in a way that refreshes us and builds us up. Now, with prayer, I just want to comment to this really quickly as well. Lots of people don't even know how to begin to pray. And so they'll start with, like... uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, whatever they learned in, you know, maybe Catholic school or wherever they, wherever they learned the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. I just want to let you understand something, that that's a model of prayer. It wasn't that Jesus was like, you literally have to pray this and only this. It's a model for prayer. And we can talk about that in the future, or you can go back in time and listen to some podcasts where we've talked about that before. Um, but we need to get away and we need to talk. And God has made it easy for us to talk to him. As easy as you can talk to someone on your iPhone or Android or Galaxy or whatever it is you use, you can talk to God. It's that simple. You don't even have to dial. You don't need to go through Siri because there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I realize that went way over some people's heads. Sorry. Um, a few years back, it wasn't the case. We didn't have the example of, of iPhone or Android or Galaxy. And I don't know if you remember, Pastor Amy references the camp, but the old, uh, well, first of all, I grew up on Party Line. Anybody know what Party Line is? Party Line is where you and your neighbors all share one phone line and you each have your own individual ring. I know, I'm kicking it old school. Uh, we also had rotary phones, and it took forever if you had a friend that had a lot of nines in their phone number, it took like 25 minutes to dial because it was like, <laughs> and it, would, it took forever. Uh, thank goodness we weren't in Europe with dial-up phones when they have those like 17-digit phone numbers. Um, and so we went from that, the day I remember being a child when we went from party line to a dedicated phone line. That was pretty wonderful. But we still had to push the buttons, and there was no wireless kits. Can you imagine? You had a there was once a cord attached to a phone. I, Piper, you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, it was like there was a rope between the handset. My gosh, they don't even know what a handset is. Oh. Have you ever been to a museum? <laughs> but the kid, because the handset was this thing, and normally you had a phone cord about, oh, that long. But if your parents were like spendy, you could go to the Radio Shack, which none of you know what that is either, and you could buy a like 30-foot long, bendy, twisty phone cord. And that allowed you the ability to go and be in a private place and have a conversation with the girl you were crushing on in junior high school. I only know that because of my brothers. Um, There was a time for us as human beings when talking to God was similar to that. See, before Jesus came, we we were kind of stuck to a landline kind of program. We were kind of stuck to to dial up, and we were kind of stuck to 
this really slow method, a very ritualistic method of reaching out to and reaching up to God. But when Jesus came, all of that was actually done away with. And when we had communion, we talked about that new covenant. And that's what it's talking about in terms of our relationship. Because of Jesus, we don't need the long cord. We don't need dial-up. We don't need rotary. We don't even need touch tone. And you're old if you know what all those things are. Now, we just have to start talking to him. And just like our phone listens to us and connects us with where we want to go, if the settings are turned on and our relationship with God, we just have to start talking to him. And so maybe the question I need to ask about your prayer life is, are your settings set to talk to him? Are your settings set in a way that you can actually talk to God when you need to? Or are you stuck in the Stone Age? Or maybe you're so worried that God is going to bombard you with telemarketing that you have all your settings turned off and you're missing out on the important things he wants to say. Well, I just want to say that prayer is the first step in recovery. When you're tired, when you're worn out, when you feel dry and thirsty and empty, when you've been reclining at the table too long, prayer is a great first step. Uh, Prayer is where Jesus wrestled the hard things through about his calling, where he wrestled through whether or not he would actually do what God told him to do, and he did the next right thing. Um, man, there's, there's so many things. Let's move on. Uh, Luke 5, 16, But Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. One of my favorite verses of the Bible, because I take that literally, and I do the same thing. If Jesus went away and slipped away to the wilderness to pray, then so will I. And if you're an outdoorsman, you probably would like to adopt the same Philosophy, Mark 135, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Everyone say alone. See, sometimes after we've really been with a lot of people, we fear being alone. And I watched all our kids, and I remember it myself as a preteen and teenager, after something like camp was over, I remember we called it the after-camp blues even, because it was just a depressing time, and it felt so lonely. We were not 15 minutes pulled out of Bible camp like the last people there, and our children were already wondering what our next social interaction would be with someone. And Amy and I basically wanted to drive the car off a cliff. <laughs> That's a little bit of exaggeration. I'm, but I'm sure you would make the same one. Where we feel, we feel so drained and we want to, we actually want to pull away. But the reason we want to pull away is because God wired us to pull away so that we could connect singularly to him. He didn't make a mistake when he made me. And he didn't make any mistakes when he made you. I think that Today, sometimes our issue is that we just don't want to be alone. We don't know how to be alone, and we don't really like being alone. But the reality is is that we need to disconnect from everything that's around us sometimes, including the people in our lives, so that we can truly connect with the one who made us. Prayer. The second tool I want to give you is praise. And we got to understand that praise is a very powerful tool in the hands of any human being. We actually use praise all the time, whether you know it or not. Some of you might use praise on Facebook all the time or Instagram all the time by hearting or liking or thumbing up a video. Uh, Those are actually all minor forms of praise. And I think sometimes what happens is we get so tied up with all these kind of minor forms of praise, we forget that we were created to praise 
the one who made everything that is. And we got to understand that, that when we're created to do it, we're actually the best ones to do it. There's nothing else in this world that can praise God the way we can. And so I think it's important. David had no issue with telling his soul to praise and bless the Lord. But don't ever forget, he in fact did have to tell himself, you're going to do this. We are going to do this right now, self. We are going to praise the Lord. Psalm chapter, or Psalm chapter 150, verses 1 to 6. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty expanse. Praise him for all his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Enough said. See, if you have a hard time with praise and maybe really letting yourself go. I don't mean being crazy. I just mean letting yourself... Let's just say it this way. If you're a crazy worshiper, just stop. Nobody wants you flapping your arms in the service and hitting them in the face. Nobody, nobody wants you to do the half-crucified worship pose and have your armpit, exp armpit exposed to their nose. Um, you know... I, I'm all for worship, but if you got to be like crazy, crazy expressive, maybe you got to go to a space where there's a little more space for you. Because the person sitting next to you or standing next to you trying to connect with God is having a difficult time because you're being weird. <laughs> now, if you're the person who just says, Pastor Trav, I come to church and I can't connect with God because all these people are raising their hands... Some of them are muttering and, and singing their own stuff. They're not even singing what's on the screen. They're just singing stuff they're making up right beside me, and it's too distracting for me. Well, they're actually doing what the Bible says. They're praising God with their own words. Uh, just so you know, don't, don't judge them too quick. But, but if you're really distracted by all those things and you can't praise, just ignore them. I know it's revolutionary, but just ignore them. It's going to be okay. Crazy people stop being crazy. Boring people stop being boring. And mostly, what if we just stop making excuses and put our focus on the one who deserves it the most because of what he's done for us and because of who he is to us? All right. Yeah, so uh, my notes say, uh, stop it. Distracted people, close your eyes. We will not let anyone steal your wallet. I think some of you don't want to close your eyes at church for that reason. You could do this pose. One hand in the air, one hand on your butt where your wallet is. That would work, I guess. Uh, anyways. All right. The last tool um, is presence. So we have prayer, we have praise, and we have presence. And I think presence is my favorite and maybe the most important one. Uh, the presence of God was revealed in many, many ways in the Old Testament and in the New. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, burning bush, a cloud covering the mountain, uh, smoke. I mean, God revealed his physical presence in all kinds of ways. Um, and that presence is very important then, and it is very important now. In Exodus 33, 7 to 11, it records, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. Well, just like Jesus went outside away from people to seek God. 
Uh, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered that tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. So just, just hear this. The presence of God would come down, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Sometimes we get stuck in a place where we're saying, I can't hear from God. And my question to you is, what have you done to be in his presence? Now, I know there is an overwhelming presence of God that is everywhere that we can exist. But we are talking about a different type of presence here. It's like my kids misbehave even though I'm present. This morning, two of my sons, I won't name their names, <laughs> were fighting down in their bedroom, and I was up above them at the table finishing my message, and I heard a fight break out. So I was present in their reality, but I was not present in their reality. And so the way I asserted my presence to them in this case was simply, I stomped my foot three times. And guess what happened? Oh, they heard the Lord. <laughs> Why? Because there's a difference between just being in the everywhere kind of God is with us always, he'll never leave us or forsake us presence, but in his actual living felt Shekinah glory is the Hebrew word, the presence of God that, that we can actually experience and feel him and know him and seek him in an entirely different way. If I would have walked down into their bedroom, that would have been known as the physical presence. And it would have been a physical correction at that point. But fortunately for them, the stomping of the foot was just like fire from heaven. And they stopped what they were doing, and that's really wonderful. I'm sure they repented and hugged each other and made everything right, too. <clears throat> Boys. Perfect. We'll finish this conversation in the parking lot after church. <laughs> that, that used to be how it worked in church. Back in the 80s, you know, mom and dad usually kept a belt or some kind of disciplinary tool in the trunk of the car at church. And you could go out and get tuned in if you needed to. And we turned out okay. Um, but anyways, okay, so, so uh, everyone would gaze until Moses entered the tent. Moses would enter, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand there, and then the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship. The presence of God, hearing God's voice, and worship all together in the same thought here. So talking to God is prayer. The presence of God is coming down and is the means by which we can hear him. And also there is praise and there is worship surrounding it. That's why these three things work together. Each at the edge of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. That's why so many of us like Joshua. He would actually stay there until the cloud lifted and the glory of the Lord departed. Neat guy. Um, would you like to know where you can find the presence of God? You, you don't need to go out to the tent of meeting. 
you, you actually don't even need to specifically come to this auditorium with the band playing to find the presence of God. In the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord would come down. The presence of God would come down when Moses went away to the tent. But I want you to know something amazing that happened when Jesus came and made us right with God is each one of us became the tent of meeting. See, because of what Jesus did at the cross, each one of us became the dwelling place for the heart, for the Spirit of God. And when we have bent our will to Jesus, we are transformed into a different image. We are made righteous by his blood. And we are, and what the word righteous means is to be placed in right standing with God. That's the best way to remember it. But because of that, I am a tent that God wants to come and meet in. And so are you. And it doesn't matter if you're four years old or if you're 400 years old. God wants to meet in tents. God has always loved tents. And that's you and I. You can start today whichever place you want in these three things. You might be comfortable starting out when you leave this place or even right now in prayer. And that might be the way it works for you. You might be a praise person, and you might be someone who just has to go and get away so you can find the presence of God. But I want to tell you that as we begin to look as a church towards the fall and all of the amazing things that are going to happen in our what really is our calendar year as a church, I'm so excited about all the things God is doing. I'm so excited about all the people that God is, is, is meeting and changing. We are seeing people set free from bondage, and we are seeing marriages restored, and we are seeing children that were running wild like a bunch of crazy monkeys. We're seeing them come and be parented and becoming wonderful, contributing members of society. We see awesome things happening in the lives of people. But it will only happen if we continue to be people of prayer, presence, and praise. You might be here in a bad relationship, a struggling marriage today. I can tell you that prayer, presence, and praise can help you. You might be in a mental battle with illness. You might have depression. You might be struggling with any number of things. I want to tell you that, that prayer and presence and praise, they can help you. They can move you, and they can move the hand of God. You might not even have a relationship with Jesus today, and I'm just so glad you're here. But I hope that you'll hear what we're saying to you today. And that's, if you can put your faith in him, you can begin to experience his presence. And you can learn how to pray. And you can discover how wonderful it is to be able to participate in praising him. Just press into his presence. Press into everything that he has for us today. Why don't you stand? I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you've made a way for us. And Lord, I pray right now for each person that is in this room. God, that you'd give us the courage and the insight in our spirit to trust you and to know that it's you speaking to us. Lord, I pray that you'd give each person the courage to respond to you in the way that you're telling them to this morning. 
Lord, every Sunday we ask the same question. What do you want us to do with what we've heard today? And so, Lord, in this moment, I pray that you'd begin to speak so clearly to people about it. Lord, would you just come and take away every fear? Lord, would you breathe your life into us again as we spend these moments speaking to you, hearing from you in your presence as we lift up your name. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.